Good morning and welcome to another episode of Standing Outside the Fire. My name is Matt, as always, and thank you for joining me this morning, or whatever time it is for you, where you're listening. In today's episode, we're going to talk about something that we all seem to find very difficult. We all resist, but something that happens all of the time, and that is change. And I'm not talking about the change in your pocket. I'm talking about change in our lives, which is a daily occurrence, an hourly occurrence, maybe even a minute-by-minute occurrence for some of us at some times. So why is change so difficult for us to handle? And why is change so difficult for us to manage even though we know it's a constant in our lives. So let's take a look at one particular change in the firefighting field. And we'll use it as a jumping off point for the discussion of of change. Now, the fire service has evolved over the years and over the decades. But the common saying in the fire service is that it's a hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress. And I know that that phrase is used in other fields and other realms of business and, and elsewhere. But the fire service is very much following that mentality in certain respects. And all you have to do is look at some of the gear. Now, specifically, the traditional fire helmet is one thing that some people hold very near and dear to their heart. And the progression of equipment over time obviously has improved to better protect firefighters. And there are other options out there for headwear. Um, But some people hold hard and fast to the traditional fire helmet. And if you're not familiar with with what I'm talking about, I'm talking, you know, if you think about the 1970s version of fire movies or or whatnot, it's the traditional big city fire helmet. And there's really no great way to describe it. You just have to go look it up. But um, And then California, of course, went their way and, and did a little bit different. And then the European style of helmet is is poking its head into America, and no pun intended, well, maybe pun intended now, but the idea is that the traditional helmet was made for a reason, and the goal behind maintaining that history is as valuable as any drawbacks that it may present, as do the other helmets. But the conundrum is this, in many different firehouses, the old salty dogs, as they're called, Firefighters who've been around for 20 or 25 years, 30 years, want to hold on to the traditions. And the newer, younger firefighters are looking at progressing, and they want to build a better fire service. And in some cases, that means getting rid of some of the traditions. For example, we no longer ride on the back of fire trucks. In most cases, it still happens in some places in the country, but for the most part, we've identified that as a very hazardous component to the job that we don't need to continue to do. And so that has sort of gone away with the with the dodo, as it were. But 
some of those traditions are very important for the fire service. And of course, after 9-11, the influx of, of interest in becoming a firefighter brought in a whole new generation. And then now the millennials coming in is a whole nother generation. And some of the reduction in volunteerism has uh, recently become a problem as well. And so some people are holding on near and dear to some of those traditions that we've had for years and years in the fire service. But when do traditions become impediments? When do we need to throw the baby out with the bathwater and start fresh? When is it that we can no longer progress past where we are if we maintain the traditions that exist? And I would submit that we can do both. Maintain traditions that are important to a a, a service that has existed since Benjamin Franklin's time, at least in the United States, and still progress and become a modern, up-to-date fire service. Let me give you another example. In the Wildland Fire arena, a number of years ago, there was a big to-do about boots. And if you know any Wildland firefighters, if you want an hour or two diatribe about footwear, ask them about their boots because boots become very, very important. When you're in them for 16 to 18 hours a day, uh, two to three weeks at a time, your boots are your tires, right? The better the tires, the better the, the handling, and the better the boots, the, the more comfortable and the more productive our firefighters are. And that's just a fact. Now, for the longest time, wildland fire boots were specifically the logger-style, high-heel, uh, leather, lace-up boots that, that came up to your mid-shin. They had to be 8 inches tall at the at minimum. And then, of course from a hotshot crew or smoke jumpers. I don't know quite where it originated, but they wanted to be able to use mountaineering boots. And so there was a big push. And not the the plastic mountaineering boots, but basically heavy-duty hiking boots, for lack of a better term. Now, they met all of the requirements, but they did have to get approval through um, the powers that be to, to use these. And eventually they were approved. And now a number of people on the fire line, especially younger firefighters, are using these these hiking boots. They say that they're lighter, and they are. They say they're more comfortable. Nah, that's debatable. My personal opinion, I've stuck with the logger style boots because they fit me well. And granted, I've only tried another pair or two of boots, but I'm in the mentality, at least with this particular topic, that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I've worked very long and hard finding boots that fit me and that I'm comfortable in, and there's no reason in my book for me personally to change right now. Does that mean that other people can't? No, not at all. I think the progression there, that becomes a very personal item of of gear and um, just like a, a backpack. Uh, if you if you hike, you know, you search for a while and you find the one you really like and you might stick with it for years and years um, as long as it, it holds up. And so that's the that's the beauty of, of change is that if you can incorporate it in a way that people are able to make their own decisions, you set the standard, whatever that standard may be, and then people are allowed to make their own choices. That makes change a little bit more palatable for people. It's not a demand. Um, it's not a, a forced change. And that is where you, you meet a lot of resistance. 
And the other piece to the fire service that I will say is the tactics now are, are changing to a certain extent. And this is where we see a, a ton of debate, right? Big changes. And this comes down to where firefighters are now researching the idea of whether it's safe to go inside burning buildings. Well, no shit. Of course it's not. It never has been. But the argument is now is that the newer homes are built with lighter weight construction. They burn faster. They burn hotter. Uh, the ability for people inside them to survive is lower over a similar time period. And the traditional tactics that we've used in the past don't work as well. Now, this change will be hotly debated for years and years and years to come. Because the reality is that the construction that we're dealing with across the country is a huge wide range. Now, granted, these cookie-cutter houses that are going up now in all places of the country are as described. They do burn quicker. They do burn hotter. It's not safe to do some of the things that we used to do, spend the amount of time that we spent in these burnt structures, um, get up on the roof of these structures when they've had heavy fire in, inside of them. Those are inherent risks that, that exist with this construction type. But there are other construction types that are very similar. There was a big hubbub in the 1950s and 60s and 70s with balloon construction. And that's where you'd see the sort of half-circle-shaped buildings, bowling alleys, shopping centers, grocery stores, any of those particular types of buildings that were constructed in this bowstring truss manner, without getting too detailed, I guess. But those were unsafe to be in, under, around, because the minute one of those trusses failed, all of them failed. And that was something we found out over time. And so we adjust our tactics in those buildings. And that's what we need to do now. But what is not smart is putting a cookie cutter approach to handling fire. It's just, it's not because each building is different. And each building that was built in the same time frame is different. The layout's different. The fire load inside is different. But these are changes that people are resisting at all costs and it's because when we put a cookie cutter approach to something that covers every possible scenario or so they think it doesn't cover every possible scenario and in fact it does a disservice because people aren't able to think critically which is something we've talked about in this podcast before if you remove the ability for somebody to think critically how are they going to adjust appropriately to the changes that they face. Down on love, little miss I give up, little miss I'll get tough. Don't you worry about me anymore. 
Okay, Matt, that's all fine and good. But most of us don't work in the fire service. Most of us don't wear helmets to work. Most of us don't wear boots all the time. So what about us? Well, it's pretty simple. The changes that I was discussing were just illustrative of changes that we deal with every day, all day. And I think dealing with the changes, whether they are systemic, whether they are in your corporation, company, agency, organization, or even at home, is really one of the keys to success. And what does that look like? Well, obviously there are positive changes and there are negative changes. And the ones that I illustrated earlier, it depends on where you sit as to whether or not they're positive or they're negative. For example, a family is expecting a baby. Everybody thinks of that as a good change. But what if it is to an ill-equipped mother or father? What if it is to a mother who is currently addicted to some sort of narcotic? None of these are the end of the world, but they're not the great, happy, let's throw a baby shower mentality, right? And then look at it from within a family. Mom and dad might be ecstatic about having a baby, but the four or five-year-old brother or sister-to-be might not feel the same way. So then we get back into perspective, which we've talked about in episodes prior. But really, it's how we deal with these changes. And one of the things that I see about changes is that they are riddled with hindsight bias. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you look at something down the road, so event A happens, and down the road, you look back on event A that caused multiple changes in your life, you look at it as either good or bad based on what's happened since that event. In the moment, it may have been horrible. Let's say you lose your job or you have to leave your job. Now, maybe it was a job you really enjoyed. Uh, they were downsizing. There were some sort of issues. Maybe there was an ethics violation, for example, and you chose to leave even though you really enjoyed your job. Now, on the surface, that change is very difficult and hard and tough to manage. Two years later, you look back, realizing that you want to make sure that who you're working for is the right people for whom you should work, and you find that place. And it's ten times better than where you had been working prior to, to leaving. Looking back, that decision was a very good decision. The changes were difficult, but the ultimate change to a new job two years down the road was a great change. But it's only great because you got that job two years later. If you hadn't gotten that job, if at year one after you left your job, you were doing something that you didn't like doing, or you didn't have a job, you weren't able to secure a job for three or four years after that, or you had to do some menial job just to pay the bills, then that change doesn't look so great. That choice didn't look so so positive. So it's all of where we frame the change, how we look at the change, and whether or not we see the potentials down the road of those changes being positive at some point. And very often they are because they take us to a different place in our lives that we weren't expecting. So the positive and negative changes 
are really a function of where we view them from, how far out we view them. Uh, obviously those changes, those difficult changes are extremely stressful in the moment. But if we can take a deep breath, realize that this won't last forever because nothing ever does, right? Things change all the time. And so being patient, being mindful of our perspective, being mindful that our perspective will change over time. Those are things that will help us manage the changes we face every day. is so resistant to change? Why do we find change so hard to deal with, even though it's an ever-present in our life? We don't fight about breathing. We don't argue about having to get up every day. Well, some of us do, I guess. We don't argue about having to eat. So why is change so difficult? And I really do think that it's in our mindset. We get accustomed to the way things are, the way we want things to be, and when those are faced with unexpected and unforeseen challenges, we resist them. Yet, in so many cases, it's already a done deal. The change has already happened. The decision has already been made above our heads, either literally or figuratively. You're driving down the road, you get into a car accident, and you no longer have your car. You can be pissed off about that all you want. The car is gone. The damage is done, as it were. Now, there have been a number of things in my life which I haven't had control over, yet they've been changes that I had no choice but to deal with. For instance, when I lost my hearing in my left ear, it was nothing I did or didn't do. It wasn't a singular event. It wasn't an accident. It was just merely a, a growth in the area of the nerves that run to my ear. But I've had to adjust. You know, the irony is I'm recording this on a stereo track, which, for those of you who aren't familiar, is, is two tracks side by side, uh, which play out on left and right side speakers. And <laughs> sometimes I actually have to switch my, my headphones around so I can hear both tracks, which is kind of ironic. But I, I laugh. I laugh because it's something I have no control over. And some of you will argue this point, but we can argue that whenever you want and wherever you want. My struggles with alcoholism, same thing. That was a change that snuck up on me that I wasn't paying attention to, that I wasn't entirely aware of. And when I became aware of it, I had two choices. And those were choices that, that I could make. A choice had been made for me. It's just like anybody who is diabetic. You don't choose to become a diabetic. You choose whether or not to manage it. Same scenario. So maybe it's all in the way we look at it. Maybe it's all in the way that we live in that moment of change. Recognize it as a change, which is important, first of all. We need to recognize what we're dealing with, right? Keep your head on a swivel. Get all of your situational awareness. Recognize a change is happening. Live in it. Relish it. And enjoy it. I had the occasion to sit with a gentleman who he and I were discussing some common issues that we had and some common changes we were going through. And I recognized in that moment that 
it was a change. It was one of those moments that I will remember because I recognized it as a moment that change was happening. And it was positive change. And I hope that you're able to do the same. I hope that you're able to recognize those changes in life that are amazing. Because some of the changes we face are not pleasant. We face death. We face sickness. We face changes in jobs and relationships, money. There's so many negative changes or things we looked at as negative. And maybe we don't need to. Maybe we just need to recognize them for what they are, right? And every change presents an opportunity for us to make a choice. Because that's really what life is. It's a conglomeration of our own choices when faced by various events and occurrences that happen in our lives. There's a last time for everything. Last call, last chance, last song, last dance. Sometimes you just don't know when that's gonna be. So let's revisit for a minute the idea of helmets and boots and fire tactics, but from a different angle. Change being inevitable, we need to prepare ourselves for that change, in my opinion. Much of the change that can be predicted can also be anticipated, and one's choices surrounding that change are pretty easy to come by. At least you have time and the opportunity to research and make informed decisions. But those times where the change is presented to us without advance warning or that comes down from on high where we have no choice in the matter and then we're faced with those changes at our doorstep and we need to decide how we're going to handle those. So for those of you who are in leadership roles, I would ask you this, how do you present change? How do you present ways in which an organization is moving in a different direction or changing staff or changing policy and procedure? Do you ever provide choices for your employees or for your subordinates? Do they ever have input in the matter? Because buy-in is the easiest way to manage change. If you can articulate exactly why you are making the changes you're making, how they're going to benefit the customer, the consumer, the constituent, and how they could very easily benefit the employees themselves. Now, sometimes you don't have that luxury. Sometimes change does not benefit the employees. Can you explain why the changes that you're making are being made? Because more often than not, when people understand the perspective from where you sit, those changes might be much more palatable to them. Same thing with the old salty dogs that we talked about earlier. Well, we're changing helmets, or we're changing boots, or we're changing tactics. Do they understand why? Are they involved in the discussion? If you are sidelining your experienced employees or subordinates, you are missing the boat. You have to have their input. They've been around, they've seen it, they've done it. Have they tried it before and it didn't work? And can they provide you reasons why? Can you have a discussion? Can you have a back and forth about 
why these changes are different this time or why the political climate requires the changes or why new safety standards require us to move towards a different uh, set of gear or a different set of tactics. And all of this stuff applies in and out of emergency services. The same thing holds true in business and in education and in healthcare. There's no question that getting buy-in from people helps them manage change much better. And there's some who won't. And then you have to decide whether or not those individuals are ones who are worth keeping around if they refuse to come along with the change. And sometimes they just filter out. They don't want anything to do with it. They resist and their performance drops or they just decide, you know, I've had enough and they move on which is not ideal, but if they don't want to be part of the, the positive change, then they can move along and, and do their own thing. So incorporating people into the decision-making process helps them anticipate the change, helps them come up with their choices early on in the process so they are able to appropriately deal with the changes when they come down. If you blindside people, you know what will happen you will meet significant resistance. And then think about it from the other standpoint, where you are the one who's faced with the change. Were you provided input? Are you allowed to give input after the fact? Is the change that was made set in stone? And those are things that you can pose to your leaders, as we talked about in the previous episode, leading up and providing them input. You've heard rumor, there's always rumor about these changes that are going on. And they never come out clean, blindsiding everybody. Somebody's in the know. Finding those opportunities to put your two cents in, in a respectful manner, is, is a valuable way for you to manage the change and you to get your input heard prior to, to anything that might impact you significantly. Then at the end of the day, for me, change is inevitable. We've heard that thousands and thousands of times. It's how you view the change, how you approach the change, and how you deal with your own perspective in managing what could be a difficult situation. We all find change difficult, but if you can see the silver lining, see it for what it is, be patient and know that those changes might very well turn out to be the best thing that's happened to you in a long, long time. You might very well weather these changes much easier than if you fight and resist and push back. Thank you all again for your time. I appreciate it. I hope you have a great day and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks. So if you're tired.